Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O family of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the second reading is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 6, uh, beginning to read at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, Simon kicked off this new series looking at the Lord's Prayer. He explored how wonderful it is that we can approach our Father God in prayer. Despite him being in heaven being bigger and better than anything or anyone we can possibly imagine, we really can approach him together as brothers and sisters. At the start of verse 9, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Of course, there's nothing wrong with using the exact words of the Lord's Prayer. We do this at virtually every service, and many of us may use it in our own personal prayers. And if we never said any other prayer besides the Lord's Prayer for the rest of our lives and really mean every word of it, we could do a lot worse. But when Jesus said, this is how we should pray, he probably wasn't telling us to simply rattle off the exact words of the Lord's Prayer every time we pray. Note that Jesus said, this is how you should pray, not this is what you should pray. So we might think of the Lord's Prayer as a kind of template an introduction to the things that we should cover and the attitude that we should have as we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer. So having considered the enormous contrasts in that opening line, that we can approach God as Father, even though he is beyond our wildest imaginings in heaven, we now come to this affirmation of something that is true, 
and that we want to be true for the world around us. Hallowed be your name. This is excellent. I have four words to preach on. It's, it makes a nice change from having whole chapters, sometimes two chapters. So I have four words to preach on and out comes a three-point sermon. We're going to think about how we should approach our Heavenly Father and what it is that we desire in these four words. Firstly, we'll look at what it means for his name to be hallowed. Secondly, we'll look at whose name is to be hallowed when we say your name. And thirdly, we're going to think about God's name, focusing on the names of God, but also thinking about his good name, his reputation. Okay, I could have made it a four-point sermon and spend ten minutes discussing the word be, to be or not to be, but I think that might have been stretching it a bit. So firstly, what does it mean for something or someone to be hallowed? The word hallowed has its origins in the word sanctify and means to be holy, set apart, honoured, revered. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter uses the same word when he tells his readers to revere Christ as Lord. Now, look up above me. What does the text spanning the arch above my head say? It says, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This actually comes from Psalm 96 that we read earlier, although the translation that we had read used the word splendour instead of the word beauty. And this is how we should approach our God in prayer, in the beauty of holiness. We approach God in our prayer and in our worship with a spirit of reverence, giving him the honour and respect that he deserves. Yes, God has made it easy for us to approach him. He loves to hear our prayers. We can approach him with the familiarity of sons and daughters approaching their father. But we must also approach him with fear and trembling as we acknowledge his perfect holiness. As we gaze on his perfect holiness, we realise how much bigger and better he is than we are. And our very best Sunday clothes are as filthy rags. When I was in my late teens, just a few years ago, I read a book by the American author and Bible teacher A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. And I've listened to that book again in the audiobook version very recently. Written in 1969, sorry, 1961, the book explores the many awesome attributes of God. And in the preface, Tozer says this. True religion confronts earth with heaven and brings eternity to bear upon time. The message of this book is called, out, called forth by a condition which has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty, lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, 
so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshipping men. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. Tozer continues, with our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words be still and know that I am God mean next to nothing to the self-confident bustling worshipper in this middle part of the 20th century. And I think we can say the same for this first quarter of the 21st century. Tozer continues, the only way to recoup our spiritual losses is to go back to the cause of them and make such corrections as the truth warrants. The decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way towards curing them. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives and to our church, that's my bit, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. End of quote. So when we say, hallowed be your name, we are declaring something that is already true. We're saying that God's name is indeed holy. But we're also expressing something of our desire that this truth should be recognised more widely than it already is. We're actually affirming the third commandment as we read it in Exodus 20 verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We're saying that we really want God's name to be honoured and revered in our lives, in our church and in our world. We want God's name to be given the respect that it deserves. In contrast to the blasphemous use made of his name, when people think it's okay to say, oh God, oh my God. Or when we hear someone say, oh God, or Jesus Christ, as a form of swearing, our hearts should break. We should be offended when we hear God's name taken in vain, not for ourselves, but because of the disrespect it pays towards the God we love and serve. Secondly, we say, hallowed be your name. When we pray, it's not really about us. It's not our holiness that we're declaring or seeking. It's all about God. Does anyone know about using the word acts to structure your prayers? Barbara's nodding <laughs> and a few others. It helps us to get things in good order and to make sure we cover all the bases when we pray, as the Lord's Prayer itself does. It starts with God himself before turning to ourselves. So, acts, 
A-C-T-S. Adoration. We declare to God how much we love him, how we respect him, and we acknowledge how good and how great he is. C. Confession. We admit our true position before this perfect and holy God as we confess the many and varied ways in which we have failed him. T. Thanksgiving. We thank God for who he is and for what he has done for us. And then S, supplication, which means to ask God for things. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. We see these elements in the Lord's Prayer. And the way it starts establishes the main player in all of this, God himself. When we say, hallowed be your name, at the start of the Lord's Prayer, we seek to bring glory not to ourselves, but to God. And thirdly, hallowed be your name. We now turn to the name that is hallowed. I'm going to consider this in two ways. Firstly, thinking about God's good name in terms of his reputation. And then thinking about some of the names that we can use when we consider and approach our Heavenly Father. What do you think about when I say these names? Do these people have a good name? What is their reputation? Winston Churchill. A bit bad-tempered, perhaps, but a great and strategic leader in times of war. Boris Johnson. I'm saying nothing. Queen Elizabeth II, highly respected, much loved, hard-working Queen of England. Donald Trump, again, I'm saying nothing. But when we think of people's good name, we can see their very name brings up thoughts of their reputation, with some names having a better reputation than others. So what of the reputation of our God? He has a reputation, at least amongst his followers, you and I, as being good, loving, just, powerful, wise, holy. As we sang earlier, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. We yearn for others to know of that good name. And we should be mindful of anything in our lives and in our church that might bring disrepute to the name of our God. When the world sees factions within the church fighting amongst themselves, when they see the church disregarding the word of God, the Bible, When they see abuse and hypocrisy occurring within the church, this does harm to the name of God, to his reputation. So when we say, hallowed be your name, we are affirming a commitment to preserve, protect and promote God's holy name. And what of the names of God? The name Yahweh, used throughout the Bible, was so revered in Old Testament times, and still is by modern time Jews, that it was forbidden to even say this name out loud at all. As a mark of respect, the name Yahweh is replaced 
as Jewish people read the scriptures with other names that say something about the nature and person of this great God. There are many names used to describe God in the Bible, but I'll introduce just a few that will help to expand on what we're saying when we say, hallowed be your name. A few weeks ago, we, in our series on the Psalms, we looked at Psalm 38. The writer of that Psalm, David, made a point of referring to God using three of the most important and widely used names for his God, our God. Firstly, David starts by addressing God, O Lord, and the original Hebrew word used here is Yahweh. The first time this name for God appears in the Bible is when Moses met God at the burning bush. Moses asked, when I go to speak to the Israelites, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? And God answered, I am who I am, Yahweh. The name Yahweh is then used around 6,800 times in the Bible. It expresses something of the eternal greatness and existence of God. But actually there are a number of possible meanings for the name Yahweh, and we could preach a whole sermon on each of these definitions. But for now, here are just a few to be going on with. Yahweh means the self-existing eternal one. He has always been there. Yahweh is only used in the Bible when the author is talking about God's personal relationship with his people. When he introduces himself to Moses, he doesn't say, I am what I am. God is a person, not a thing. So he says, I am who I am. This tells us that God is a relational God. He relates personally with his people, with us. Yahweh is the unchanging God. Again, I am who I am. He has always been who he is from the beginning of time and before time itself. In Psalm 38, David is crying out to Yahweh with a deep awareness of what that mighty and sacred name actually means. The psalm we read earlier, Psalm 96, also written by David, uses the name Yahweh throughout. Later on in Psalm 38, David uses the word Adonai, which means Lord and Master. And in using that word, David is acknowledging God's ownership and lordship over him. He is acknowledging that however far he strays in his sinfulness, nothing can change the truth that God is his Lord and Master. Even when we turn our back on him and refuse to bow to his lordship, God is still Lord and Master over the universe. A third name that David uses in Psalm 38 is um, Elohim. This is the word used right at the start of Genesis at creation and refers to the God of creation, the God over the natural world. It's also a plural term, which some suggests may be a reference to the Holy Trinity, one God in three persons of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Others suggest that it may be a bit like the royal we, used by royalty to express majesty and supremacy. It may also be a way of expressing the multifaceted, complex nature of God in all his fullness, his many awesome attributes. So when we approach God to pray to him and to worship him on our own or together as a church, we are approaching Yahweh 
Adonai Elohim. This is an awesome privilege and an awesome responsibility. And finally, to pick up on a point made by Simon last week, how can we possibly dare to approach such a God? Well, Jesus came to bridge that seemingly impossible gap, that gap between the holy, perfect God, the God whose name is hallowed, and flawed, broken, unholy people like you and me. When Jesus tells us to address God as our Father, he puts us right there beside him as we, along with him, dare to call him our Father. Amen.